Hey, my name is Ozamina Tracy Namadim. You can call me Ozo. I competed and won an international competition to serve on the board of directors for a prestigious accounting honor society, where I traveled abroad as a brand ambassador, engaging students about transitioning to the workplace and advancing their careers in the accounting profession. Since then, I've developed a diverse network which continues to teach me the importance of resilience. Thriving in a high-functioning city like Washington, D.C. triggers my serotonin levels through the roof. However, this podcast offers an escape from reality to engage in some quality dialogue with some of my favorite young professionals across industry, function, and sector. I hope you enjoy this podcast, and I look forward to taking you on the journey. Welcome to the first episode of Black Leadership Matters. My name is Ozamina Ozo Namadim, and I am super excited to be here with you for the first episode. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be me if I didn't have a surprise for you all. So let's just go ahead and tell you that I have a co-host. Tama, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure thing, Ozo. Well, thank you for having me as your co-host. Um, my name is Tama Patterson. I have been knowing Ozo for the past few years through NABA. Um, such a wonderful person, uh, so full of life, so full of joy, so full of light. So I am honored to even be able to, to help you with this new venture. So thank you, Ozo, for having me. Thank you. And so we'll be joined by Mr. Ken Boyer and Dr. Jan Taylor-Morris. Um, and I'll, I'll actually just pass it off to them for them to introduce themselves. So how about Ken? How, can you go ahead and introduce yourself for us? Absolutely. Also, great to be here with you and Tamo. I appreciate the invite to talk about Black Leadership Matters. So I'm uh, Ken Boyer with, with EY. I actually just celebrated a pretty big milestone, just celebrating my 30th year with the firm, uh, which is uh, incredible on a number of fronts. But had a wonderful career on the audit side, consulting, and now leading all of our DNI recruiting efforts for the Americas. Uh, it's just been an incredible journey getting a chance to meet um, people like Dr. Morris and so many other friends along the way. But great to be with you and looking forward to our, our dialogue today. Awesome. Thank you. And congratulations on your milestone. Thank you. Dr. Morris? Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Jan Taylor Morris. I'm an associate professor of accounting at Sam Houston State University. That's where I met Ozo uh, when he was a student and a member of our Beta Alpha Psi chapter. Um, I agree, Tama. Ozo is one of the brightest lights around. I have just so enjoyed being able to stay connected with him after he graduated and became really involved with uh, Beta Alpha Psi at the international level, serving on the board and just watching uh, the difference that he's been able to make in the world. He developed initiatives within our chapter and uh, I am so honored uh, to be able to be here, especially on this inaugural broadcast. So congratulations to Ken for your uh, milestone and congratulations also on your milestone starting this uh, Black Leadership Matters podcast. Thank you so much. And I am extremely 
I am extremely humbled and grateful to have you both to have, like, I'm just so excited and just extremely grateful. So thank you for your time. And I appreciate the warm compliments. Um, however, I'm like, you all are the stars of this show. So I would like to go ahead and start us off with a couple of icebreakers so that we can get to know you. Um, I do want to just caveat. So Black Leadership Matters, uh, it's kind of a double entendre. So we'll go with Black Leadership Matters is both an affirmation that Black leadership does in fact matter within each industry, firm, company, throughout society, but it's also about the fact that these are all things that we discuss on this podcast are all matters that affect Black leadership, which inherently affect all leadership. So as we talk about, as we brush through topics on the podcast, I want us to be rooted in, in the fact that it is both a focus on Black leadership and a charge for us all to think through the matters that affect all of our leadership styles and develop all of our leadership capacities. So our first icebreaker, it's what's on your playlist? And, you know, I am an aspiring spin instructor. I'm very, very, very into fitness. So I love a good workout playlist. I, I want to know what is a song that gets you all hype? Dan, would you like to go? <laughs> oh, okay. So now if we're talking working out, uh, obviously things like, uh, you know, Shut Up and Dance, you know, by Walkman, uh, you know, going old school, you know, I like a little Blondie, you know, uh, One Way or Another, another one of my favorites, just anything that's got an amazing beat, you know, Uptown Funk, nobody can beat that one, I think. Uh, but just, you know, I like songs that are gonna like you said make you smile make you want to get up and dance <laughs> that's pretty good so i'm on the opposite end i'm doing no working out right now so you you, you both made me just ashamed of myself at the moment uh, so I'm, I'm more of a smooth jazz kind of guy when i want to relax after work or on the weekends you know whether it's a chuck brown or who i mean i just i'm a smooth jazz kind of person i've got a huge playlist you know i'm on this amazon music but Jazz is where it's at for me. Um, well, you can't go wrong with Charlie Parker, you know, oh, Diana Cross, any any of that. I agree with you, Ken. Both things, like, you can't go wrong. You really can't go wrong. That's right. No, and uh, so I actually think Chuck Brown is from D.C. So I, it's kind of like all tying in. Um, Tama, what about you? What about what's a song that that's on your playlist so the listeners can get to know you a little better? The song that gets me pumping in the morning is like Tina Marie Square Biz. I mean, it gets you going every day. I mean, something about it just makes me feel good on the inside. But I'm more along the lines of Ken. I have a, a very chill, mellow playlist. I listen to a lot of indie R&B. So I start my day off fairly mellow and try to keep that same tune throughout the day. So nothing super, super upbeat. I do like starting the day with Beyonce sometimes. I mean, come on, who doesn't? But, you know, I, I'm more even killed during, throughout the day. So I'm not super exciting on this side. <laughs> I mean, 
Hey, I I listen to smooth jazz and uh, so actually there's kind of a hybrid that I listen to throughout the day. It's called like lo-fi music. And so there's some jazz influences within there. Uh, I love lo-fi, yeah. But yeah, lo-fi really, really, really throughout the day, anytime, it's always there. Um, great. So then another question that I had for you, probably uh, my favorite question to ask someone is, what is your favorite networking drink of choice? Depends on the audience. If you know, if it's if it's adults, I can go with a number of things. Why I'm a big wine drinker. I love I love wine. So red, all variations of red. Um, certainly, if I'm in a university setting, water preferably. That's what I do. But, but I'm a big I'm a big wine guy. That's going to sound terrible. But I'm a big I'm a wino. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, and I, I I agree with Ken. I um, basically uh, if I'm at a networking event, you know join the networking, it's going to be club soda with lime. But then after hours, you know, when you're sitting around just chilling with your friends, uh, a little Bailey's on ice and I'm happy. You know, Bailey's on the rocks. Oh, yes. Um, so I'm going to go with, I love, also Ken, I love wine. Um, but I'm going to go with a Prosecco. Like the bubbles, something about the bubbles, I, it's not scientifically proven, but the bubbles just make me smile. And I want to just, that that actually encourages my networking. So whatever it is about it, it's all the sparkling wines, any any one of them. So, so Ozone, through my uh, watching of Insecure, um, I have now started Prosecco and a splash of vodka. Mm. So you'll have to try that on your next go round. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> um. My go-to is actually, I'm with Ken. I, I love wine. I love red wine, unfortunately. Sometimes when you go to these events, they don't really have a good red. So you kind of have to push through. Um, but generally, that's my go-to. Or I try to do something vodka-based. So a little bit of mix and match. Awesome. I appreciate it. And then the last question that I have, <laughs> what is your favorite stretch food? Stress food. That's a tough one. Does ice cream count? Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> so ice cream would be my my. Maybe that's not a food, but that's my my something of choice yeah. in a stressful moment. What what type of ice cream? Butter pecan oh. or pecan, depending on what part of the country you're in. <laughs> uh. And I try to eat low carb. So basically, if I'm stressing, I know I'm going to start craving, you know, anything, you know, pizza, you know, bread, sandwiches, you name it. <laughs> it's got a carb in it. I'm going to I'm going to want it. Oh, yes. I love pizza. So I'm, I'm there with you. That was mine. <laughs> I cannot stay away from French fries when I'm stressed. Like French fries are all the food groups. It's a vegetable. <laughs> it's a starch like come on you cannot go wrong with french fries so and i might need to change my answer tama <laughs> you're right i like that i agree <laughs> oh yes so well one thank you all for sharing i hope that kind of gives a little insight into each of our personalities um again um the podcast will discuss some you know more serious topics but I did want to make sure that we had fun and got to be like 
set a tone of like, you know, camaraderie amongst all of us. Um, so as we transition over into the interview portion of the, of the podcast, I wanted to set some rules for creating a safe space. Um, since we all have different lived experiences, uh, we should, we should actually just probably start with identities that we each hold. Um, and then that will kind of help like create the space that we exist in or that we will be taking up for the next, you know, 40 minutes or whatever. So my name is Ozo. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. I am a first-generation American citizen um, and a first-generation college student. I am technically somewhat biracial, I guess you could say, uh, since um, my parents are, well, one of my parents is an immigrant and one of my parents is an American citizen. Um, and with that, uh, that kind of shapes like how I navigate the world and how I view um, society. So what about you all? What are some of the identities that you hold that help shape how you navigate society? I can start, Ozo. Um, you know, I, I'm a Black female in a predominantly male environment, um, generally for most of my day. Um, you know, I was, both of my parents are from this country, so there's there's some privilege in that. There's privilege in, in, in kind of, you know, how they live their life. You know, both of my parents were able to go to college and have graduate degrees and influence kind of my life path going forward. So a little bit of privilege in that. But ultimately, just identifying as a, a Black woman in, in, in today's society um, and, and kind of the, the, the structures or uh, challenges that may come with that. So. Awesome. Yeah. Tina, would you like to go? Sure, I'll go ahead and go. Uh, well, I I am a white female. Surprise. Um, I think in terms of this broadcast, I would say that my, I identify more as an ally and someone who um, wants to learn more and uh, process more and continue to grow in my understanding and in my ability to be more uh, integral and certainly more inclusive. Awesome. Thank you. And I appreciate you for being here. Thank you. And thank you, Tama, for sharing. Ken, would you like to go? Absolutely. So I am Ken. I am I'm a Black male. I've been Black all my life. I'm very proud of that. And uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a first-generation college student raised by an incredible mom, single parent. I grew up in New York City in Queens, to be exact. And um, I live life. That's who I am. Awesome. Thank you. And so I, I wanted to start with our identities so that it, it sometimes like we don't pause to reflect on some of the the privileges we have within our identities, but like since we will talk about some sensitive subjects, I just wanted to name some of the differences in in how we show up and how we view the world, um, which would guide some of our conversation. Like I said, this will be a safe space. Um, Jan, I know I heard you. Uh, I appreciate you. I 100% believe that you are an ally and I know that for a fact. Um, so thank you. Um, Thank you for your allyship. Thank you for, you know, 
actually a secret jen is probably probably like the most impactful ally that i've ever had throughout life um and so i will just say that on the podcast and i appreciate you oh thank you so much that means that means a lot um you are welcome so whenever um so we spoke about some of our diversity um the podcast is actually going to be tailored more towards inclusion because we don't really have as many conversations around include inclusivity and inclusion so i guess the first question for the podcast would be what is inclusive leadership and what does it look like in a post george floyd workplace Ken, why don't you start us with that one? Sure. So, so from my perspective, you know, inclusive leadership is something that we all need to be. You mentioned post George Floyd, and certainly the world changed, right? I think at that moment, and I say change, change for some folks. There are people like me who grew up in a black community, who unfortunately had to witness a lot of that stuff a lot. But I think for the first time, many, many folks who are now allies. And Jane, you've been an ally forever, but many folks seeing that for the first time, things changed. And and what I would say, you know, people might have a have a daughter. Uh, she's a junior in high school. And my my daughter would say that people have just gotten woke. And I think that's right. Now, the follow through though is, you know, what happens from that moment, and where do we go from here? I think all the allies out there and others need to truly be inclusive leaders, those are, as you mentioned, and that is presuming there's diversity in your organization, your school, wh wherever you sit and whatever you do, if you consider yourself a leader, you need to lead in a very inclusive way because the people that make up your team that are next to you are all very different and bringing something different to the table. And then how do you expect to lead people if you're not, in fact, inclusive in your leadership style? So to me, critically important, I think those words matter so much now and they always have but they matter a great deal and that whether you're a faculty member uh, jan like you in front of the classroom you need to be an inclusive faculty member you know leading your class of again presumably diverse students in a manner that brings out the best in each and every one and allows them to contribute in a way where they could truly be their their quote unquote authentic self so that, that's my reaction to that great question and for me, I just, you know, in full transparency, uh, Ken and I have been having these conversations for a long time. Ken, I can remember when we sat at dinner multiple times with a good friend of ours who has since uh, left this earth, T. Sterling Wetzel, talking about how different it was to grow up as a black man in Oklahoma versus, you know, your experience that you've talked about and, you know, you know, my experience and just having those, you know, kind of what we now call difficult conversations. You know, we've been having those for, you know, decades. And, uh, and I appreciate that because that has really helped me to hone my definition of, you know, inclusive leadership. Can uh, also in a conversation we had where we talked about when, when you became, you know, went into this role that you're now serving in so well, I uh, might add, is what is, you know, this idea of inclusion? And, 
you know, what Ken, you know, you, you shared with me was the idea that inclusion includes everyone. You know, it's not just, you know, what we sometimes think about when we think about diversity. It's, it is that idea of all of us coming together, being curious about each other, you know, having the courage to ask each other, you know, uh, difficult questions. Um, and it's, you know, and again, it's, People who know me, you know, it's easy for me to to go to Ken or others who know me well and and ask some questions like, you know, things that you know as a, a white female might be a bit of a challenge. And you know, what term do I use and how do I use it? And will I be will I offend someone if I say something, you know, one way or the other? And it is wonderful to have those safe spaces to be able to go to. But from, you know, just a, a strictly leadership point of view, we're not necessarily in a position to be able to go out and go have those with everyone, you know, that's on our team. So I think the primary thing there is just, you know, being cognizant of the fact that, you know, bias exists, you know, being willing to challenge any bias that you see in your organization Again, having that courage to step up and, you know, confront it if you have to. Boy, I'm using a lot of C words here. Um, but, you know, just, you know, having, you know, the, the ability, the willingness, um, if, if you need to, to see everyone and to accept them, you know, where they are and to help those that need it and Again, as a, a an ally, sometimes I am very careful with my words because I certainly don't want to act like, you know, I need to save anyone or, you know, bring someone up to my level. By no means uh, do I intend, you know, that to be. And I know there's a whole conversation around the intent versus impact, but um, I think that's my thing is be cognizant of the balance of bias, challenge it if you need to. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I think, um, one, I love uh, alliteration. So all the C words did not <laughs> bother me at all. Uh, <laughs> and then also, I, I want to say um, that w one thing that I've learned throughout this time is that the importance of community building and creating community, finding community. Um, and so what I end up finding is that as we have conversations, more conversations around in inclusivity and inclusion in the workplace, then um, I, I end up creating more community um, just by having, you know, authentic dialogue with, with different people. Um, so I know Tama did not get to answer. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, I will yield to you. I apologize. No, no, I, I just wanted to touch on something that Ken said, which is, you know, allowing people to be themselves and to contribute in their authentic, in authentic self. I think a lot of times, you know, you have a lot of diverse employees that sit at the table and say, your, your belief is that you only care about the part of me that contributes to the business and not my whole self. And so I want to get some thoughts on how do you, how do you cultivate an environment like that? How do, what are some actions or some beliefs that you have that can make people feel as if 
their whole self is valued when they come to work or their whole self is valued when they exist in spaces where folks just don't look like them. Um, something I'd be curious about, just kind of how you guys approach that. Yeah, that, that's a, it's a great point. And, and frankly, I think that takes time for your, for your culture and for the, the people and the leaders and others to, to set the stage there. Um, I would say a few things. You know, back to all these C words. I'm a big believer in that conversations are the currency for change. So I do think you need to start with conversations. And, and Jan alluded to this earlier, but like real conversations. And, and I think in order for us to really make some progress in this space and have that kind of environment where you value me beyond what I just bring to this project, I think it's going to require conversations. Now, and I think on both sides of that equation, though, there the conversations need to be open and honest and you have the right trust, you know, assuming you have the right trust. Um, but I think I'll give you a quick example. You know, when I first started with the firm a long time ago in, in the 90s, you know, I, I didn't bring my authentic self, my true self to the firm. There's a whole story around it. We don't have enough time for me to share it. But the bottom line is, I would tell you I left my identity at the door. And, and my assumption, which was incorrect, if I wanted to be a partner in the firm one day, I needed to, and at the time it was probably like 90% of the partners were white males. So my assumption was I need to be like them if I want to make it. And as a result, I just checked my identity, so to speak, at the door. And, and, and I was pretty miserable those first couple of years at the firm. And so I will just tell anyone listening to this, if you have folks in your organization who are hiding who they really are, you never really maximize and understand what they can bring to the organization for the greater good. Uh, and then until you have the right trusting environment, it's gonna be difficult to have those conversations that I believe are the currency for change. So I, I think setting the stage there would ultimately help, right? And this, this, this culture, it's like an evolution that's gonna take a while, but I think those are some elements that help set, set the stage, you know, for people to really bring who they are and truly be, be authentic. Great points. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I am, I, I wrote it down. So now I'm like, how do we like conversations, currency for change? I'm like, uh, I don't know if you've trademarked that, but that seems like <laughs> very, uh, very DNI, very on brand. I love it. Um, and it may and, have been trademarked, so just be careful. I would just tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, um, that is like extremely helpful. I think, um, I know it continues to um, develop me and understanding how others view the world and trying to, you know, as I continue to navigate my career in society, I'm just trying to figure out, well, or understanding how, how others perceive me um, and also how I perceive myself. Um, and or how it how it differs from how I perceive myself, and 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 I think to your point, the conversation is 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 the crux. Like you just need to allow yourself to be vulnerable and actually start a conversation around difference, and then um, the authenticity will come after that. Um, I think for. Another conversation is around, uh, since we were speaking about vulnerability, uh, as someone 
who is extremely sensitive. Um, I am curious to know how you navigate sensitive DNI topics that differ from your personal values. You know, in a professional setting, sometimes, like, as much as we want to bring our whole authentic self to work, we have to compromise certain pieces that are, you know, on brand with whatever the mission, vision, values of the organization you choose to be a part of. How do you navigate sensitive conversations that may somewhat differ from your personal values? I'm happy to go unless you guys want to respond, either of you. No, go ahead, Ken. Yeah, I think I think for me, Ozone, it's a great question. And this is such a, a personal thing, but but maybe part of it's the role that I'm in. I think more around kind of who I am as an individual and how I've walked through corporate America. I, I, I absolutely, and this term gets overused, but I absolutely lean into those conversations. I welcome those conversations and I'm very proactive with those conversations. Um, and I have no fear. And, and I think if you want to have you really want to have real conversations that get below the, the waterline, because I do think we have conversations that are mostly above the waterline, above the surface, because it's safe and it's easy. But for me, I know that if I want to have real and create real change, if I want to really understand the various you know diversity dimensions that I don't have all the understanding for, I need to have questions. I need to be vulnerable, as you said earlier, Ozo, but I think you have to say, again, this is about trust and it's about setting the stage. I actually have what I call uncomfortable lunches with people, certainly pre-COVID. Um, but I go out with people and have, and that's the title of this, you know, these lunches, uncomfortable lunches. That means we're going, we're going to talk about topics that are just uncomfortable. And that's how you set the stage. But, but you have to create trust in people. People need to trust you. People know, need to know that you, you generally care. Right. Don't don't show up because it's Black History Month talking about oh, now I want to learn about black folks. No. How consistent are you? Where is your heart on this? And I think that allows for the right level of conversation to happen. And, and you have to have trust and you have to have no fear because I don't know everything. And I'll tell you that right up front. Hey, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes, have some patience, um, but just trust and know that my heart's in the right place. And I'm generally trying to learn. I think we we were in such a gotcha culture now that people are afraid to have conversations for fear of retribution, for fear of backlash. And we have to change that mindset enough if we really want to make progress. Well, that, that's great feedback. Um, and I, I really appreciate that on uh, trust. Uh, you know, I find it very, like, I, I don't know, in Tama, uh, I would... I would ask you um, personally. I, you know, I find it very difficult to go into um, situations with, like, you know, or I guess there are two sides of how you could approach trust. Like, you earn it over time, or it's yours to lose. Like, you start off with it, and then something triggers it. I guess what would be your approach, Tama? My approach has always been, you know it's not something that you can lose from me. It's something that may have to be worked on, you know, in the future. But I think Ken's spot on is if, if, if you don't have a level of trust 
how do you get to the real meat of a conversation or a situation or an understanding? And I think oftentimes people forget that at the end of the day, we're all human beings. You know, we all strive to do mostly the same thing and that's just do what we can to better ourselves and our families. And so when we connect on that level, I think a baseline level of trust is always built. And then you continue to get this, what I call credit of goodwill, you know? And when you build on that, you build the connection and people feel as if you've got their back or there's nothing that I can say to you that will, you know, make me fear that you'll, you know, go back behind my back or use it against me. And so it's, it's very important, not only just for having those conversations, but even having a working relationship. You know, I think about how I work best and I work best with those that I can trust, those that I can have those conversations with, those folks that, um, whether it be a tough conversation or whether it be, you know, going to bat for me in, in whatever scenario at work or, or life, really, essentially, um, it's, it's, it's important to have that. Um, I think that oftentimes when you know who you are from a personal value perspective, you kind of move through life that way. There's nothing that, you know, uh, folks at work can say to me that will shape what I believe in at the core, you know, and I live my life and I try to be an example of that. I believe that everyone should be respectful. Everyone should act with integrity. Everyone should treat others like they want to be, you know, how they want to be treated. And so when you have those core values to you, there's nothing else that you can do but emulate that and, and, and spread that around. So it kind of comes naturally, um, almost. I know some people aren't used to that. They don't know how to react to that. They don't know how to react to um, people being genuine people. Um, and so, you know, I, I think just setting an example and showing up for our team and, and for, for the people around me, you know, that that's a natural way that I try to build trust. Yeah. And also, I guess, you know, when I think about your question, you know, how do you navigate these conversations, you know, that might differ from personal values? Well, you know, my personal values, you know, come from my faith, you know, as a Christian woman, um, you know, and I, you know, I just always go back to the, you know, doing to others, you know, as you want them to do unto you, you know, you know, and think about how, you know, uh, my Jesus would treat other people. And, you know, when you approach life from that standpoint, you know, it, it is hard not to just love people, you know, and to be open and accepting of who they are. And I know for some people who hear this, they may, you know, approach their faith a different way. But for me, you know, it is that uh, they're really isn't, you know, at least I, I hope there isn't, you know, a, uh, a bias within me that would look at anyone um, in terms of, you know, inclusivity as being, you know, anyone other than someone that I want to care about and to, you know, seek to help them. That's why I chose the career that I did, you know, to be a college professor, to be able to, you know, help grow and, you know, foster uh, uh, some of these kind of ideals in young people. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, the conversations can be difficult, 
but I don't know that they go against my personal values. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I promised it was not a leading question. <laughs> it was not <laughs> supposed to be a trick question. Um, no. And I think that um, everyone, thank you so much. Uh, one, Tama, I took a note, uh, the credit of goodwill. Um, such an accounting reference, but I love it. <laughs> um, I, I'm just, so Ken, you did an interview earlier this summer. Uh, it was called Step Back Leadership. And on there, someone mentioned a conversation that you had with your team and you paused the meeting and you asked everyone what they were grateful for. So I would like to pause and ask you all what you're grateful for. Hey, you guys really did research. I appreciate that. Um, I, I am grateful for family. My, you know, my wife of 30 years, my, our daughter, like I said, she's, she's just an incredible young lady, a junior in high school, so responsible, so amazing. And um, what this pandemic has taught me, you know, I've traveled a ton for work, probably like a lot of you on the road constantly. And, and I realize a little bit sadly, you know, I missed some things along the way, but, but being home these last seven, eight months has just been an incredible blessing to see my daughter and have, we can have dinner and we watched last night, we watched a movie and, you know, doing more of those things. I'm grateful for, for family and um, just, it obviously brings a smile to my face and that's been the silver lining through this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, have to echo that, you know, family is, is everything. And uh, I am grateful for the friends that I've had over the years, uh, the, the people who have been in my life for a long time, uh, the people that are, are new, the new friends, but just uh, those relationships, whether they be family or whether they be friends, uh, I think that's what it all boils down to. That's what, you know, makes life worth living. Yeah, I think, you know, this has been a very hard year for all of us. And I think what it's truly shown is, you know, having a good support system is what gets you through the good times and the bad. Um, so I'm grateful to have just some amazing people around me, um, people that I may not have talked to before a couple months ago. But um, I think what it's taught me is that, you know, the pain has a purpose this year and a lot of people have done a lot of have had a lot of growth I know myself included and that would not be possible with without the people around me the people that love me the people that care for me um and, and the ability to give that back to those around me so definitely grateful for, for for my support system and grateful for you Ozo for for starting this conversation so oh thank you so much that was that was a I don't want to call it cheesy, but I love it. Thank you. I love cheesy anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, so I too, uh, I'm grateful for, you know, all of the relationships that I have um, throughout my life that kind of helped me navigate um, the day to day, like having a strong support system to your, to your, um, to each of your points is, it's so true. I come from a non-traditional family, um, so I would say, like, I, I, I will say family, but my family does not look 
the same as most people's. Um, so I will name that. However, um, hands down, my family is my support system and my faith like keeps me grounded and keeps me rooted in the right um, right direction, right values, the right path. Um, and so, and it keeps me on brand for pursuing my purpose, which I believe is serving community. Um, so I want to ask, um, and then I will turn over to Tama because I know she has a couple of questions as well, um, is that whenever we're having conversations around diversity and inclusion, sometimes there are, um, while we, while we intend for, sometimes there's a disconnection between how others perceive our messages versus how we intend for them to come out. And so that could mean, I was given Tama an example earlier, uh, and this is a very, I know this doesn't happen as frequently anymore because we have a I hope it doesn't happen as frequently anymore because you know we've had a ton of conversations around it. But like, if I were to go up to Tama in the office and I were to touch her hair, um, and I were to ask her like, "Oh, well, you did something different," and I touched it, I, to her, uh, it could come off as, "Is this some foreign object? Like, why it? Why am am I a spectacle? It could it could just." be a lot of different things that, whereas I intended for the message to be, oh my God, your hair is so gorgeous. And I, I just want to touch it because it feels like I just want to touch it. Um, I'm fascinated. Uh, <laughs> however, um, the fascination could come off as um, something different. So I wonder how do we navigate the differences between intent versus impact, and then how do you approach conversations around it? I mean, and 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 so I will say another uh, example that I've heard, and maybe Jan. Um, so it's like um, I, and as a male, I am still like learning this for myself, but like. I'm learning the male privilege uh, in itself is that, you know, men were, are, are socialized to speak up in settings traditionally. And sometimes like whenever we're in a board meeting and if I over talk you or um, I think someone has, I, I, I think I've heard the phrase like mansplaining or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> how, how, how do you ha approach conversations around intent of that or versus the impact that it actually has on an individual. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, this has, boy, this is a big topic. <laughs> um, and I know that, you know, there's been research, you know, surrounding this, uh, significant research surrounding it. And I know that there are some who say that it's very hurtful, you know, to focus on the intent. So, you know, uh, especially when it might be something that has been said uh, in the sense of, you know, where perhaps a man might come back and say, oh, I didn't mean to, to try to explain your words. The woman's going to say, but you did. <laughs> and, and so clearly you thought I was incapable of, uh, you know, saying, and, and, 
that may not have been the intent at all. Uh, sometimes it is, and we have to you know, acknowledge that. But uh, I think this is just one of those areas that goes back to you know, having those open and honest conversations and both sides being willing to listen. And uh, again, unfortunately, that is not always going to be the case uh, in our current society that people are going to listen. But we have to you know, understand that there isn't always harmful intent. There isn't always malicious intent. But the person who has you know, touched her hair or who has mansplained or talked over needs to also be willing to sit back and say, you know, okay, in myself, that's not what I intended, but let me hear you and let me try to consider changing my behavior. Oh, and let me focus on that impact of what I've done or what I've said and be willing to change my behavior you know, because that's what you know, growth and progress is all about, you know, is being willing to hear the other side and not focus so much about getting offended, you know, that they took it the wrong way as being willing to say, okay, let me hear how that impacted you. Let me think about that next time and change my patterns of behavior. Awesome. Thank you. That is one that was a very thorough and a very helpful. Um, I'll probably be circling back with you on the research uh, just so that I could inform myself or like, you know, teach, um, educate myself on what sure. <laughs> uh, what research is out there and how uh, what those specific findings were. So thank you. Um, Ken, what about you? How do you help others uh, conceptualize the intent of a message versus the impact um, that it has on an individual. Yeah, Jim, I, I loved your your comments there. And I, I think just a few things to add to that. You know, for me, also you mentioned kind of this quote unquote white male privilege in, in some meetings or where folks will try to over talk someone. I think that's where an ally can really be helpful to step in. You know, sometimes if you're the person on the receiving end of often the in, you know, whether it's can I touch your hair or whatever it may be, you just get tired, right? I mean, you just, you just like, you know, I don't want to have to educate this person or explain this. This is where I think allies can be so incredibly helpful. So in meetings, the other thing that will happen, you know, I've observed over the years is that, you know, a woman could say something in the meeting, Jan could say something that's brilliant like she typically does, maybe gets a little bit ignored, and then a male says the exact same thing, and everyone's like, oh, what a great idea. What I do personally I said, yeah, that's right. That's the idea or concept that Jan brought up earlier, right? Always giving credit or going back to and trying to point out, you know, those microaggressions, if you want to call them that. And then just for me personally, I, you know, I'm, I'm in some of these situations at times and I'll just ask, you know, what do you mean by that? Or why did you say that? Or why did you ask me that question? I just pause. And so it depends on the mood that I'm in. But I, I you know, if someone asks me something that seems outrageous, I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And I just, I'm quiet and I let them hopefully in their mind rationalize or think through or ask themselves the same question. Then what did I mean by that? So I think there's different ways to try to quote unquote educate people. For me, it just depends on the mood that I'm in, but allies matter, you know, being 
in the know and understanding these microaggressions that happen against people. And again, you, you can step in and, and really try to help others out. And Kenny brought up a good point. I think I, I was listening to the podcast that Ozo mentioned earlier and I saw some other items that I think his name is Jason had posted, but he had in a, one of his notes that what we allow lingers and what we teach triggers. And that stuck with me in that moment because I think oftentimes a lot of people think about change, but they allow some of these things to occur, right? No one wants to speak up and, and truly say, no, that was Jan's idea or, you know, something that they may not agree with. They don't necessarily just call a little bit of attention to it because a lot of times people will continue to do what they're allowed to do. And so I think if you spoke up in that, in that situation, that triggers something from someone else to say, one, I can not only empower someone else to speak up, but also allow someone to sit back and sit in what they've done. And, and maybe that's a teaching moment for them. And so I think that's, that's the ultimate goal of, of, of us trying to speak up and, and, and kind of calling out, not, not disrespectfully or in a manner that, you know, offends anyone, but just saying, you know, I noticed that and I don't think that's right. And then kind of move on from there. So that, that's a great point. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and so I, I want to, as we are each, um, we each have a certain amount of privilege, one through education, through how we navigate society. I like we're all connected through the accounting profession, at least. So I think that that is one privilege in itself, but we are also each marginalized in some facet. Um, I want to ask a question around for each of you is how do you develop the, how have you developed the courage to continue to persevere and push, uh, persist in a society that was not structured for your success. And I say that in the sense that society was not structured for women. It was not structured for people of color. It was not structured for queer people, but somehow we see these people in leadership roles and each of you are leaders, one, um, just purely by the titles that you hold and your influence and how you navigate society, you have um, each influenced me significantly. So um, you are all leaders. So I wonder how do you navigate and you can like continue to push forward in a society that was not built for you? That, that's a, uh, it's a big question. It's a great question. Um, personally, um, I, I'm like, if, if not me, then who, right? I think reflecting on, again, just my career and some of the stuff I had to deal with over the number of years, when I think about my daughter and I think about her future, I'm like, I've, I've got to continue the fight. I've got to continue to lean in and I got to continue to do what I can to make things better. Right, whether it's for, for Jan's grands, kids, you know, whether it's my daughter, her future, our young people coming up. Like we have to have some personal responsibility in all this. And I think we've some we've gotten away from that. I think people are about what about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? And it's gotta be about what about we? And it's gotta be about what about us. 
And I think we have to have a significant shift in how people approach the world and making this a better place. And and I think, you know, you look at some of the the social media and the, the wonderful pictures that people post and how frankly self self-absorbed many people are. We, we've got to be bigger and better than that. And so that is my mindset and my mentality. I personally know that I am standing on the shoulders of many giants. There's no way I could have been at this firm for so long and have done, I say this in quotes so well, been successful, had it not been for others. You know, all of you know NABA well, right? It's about lifting as we climb. And that is the mantra that I live my, my life by. So that's why I lean in, that's why I'm engaged. And that's why in the weary moments, I'm like, I gotta keep pushing. Awesome, thank you for that. Um, yes, I love, I, one, I love, and I live by the NABA motto as well. Um, I think it's just um, really reflective of how, well, it just speaks to, it has gotten me to a certain point in society. I think it, as after George Floyd, I will say that Black Lives Matter has significantly changed how I view the motto of NABA um, for lifting as we climb to see, um, and this, I don't want to turn it too political, but I, to see how the Black society, how, yeah, how Black people in society have all come together and we really rallied to advocate and push the conversation forward around what structural and systemic racism, like a, a corporation had never said the word systemic racism until May 25th, 2020. And so it just seems so significant. And I, I think that um, once we understand that like, you know, there's power within collective voice. Um, I am currently reading The Eighth Habit by um, Stephen Covey. It's like a follow-up to the seven habits of highly effective people. So the eighth habit is finding your voice. And for me, I think lifting as we climb is about all coming together, including all of those voices into one unified message that has a greater impact on society beyond each of us. And I think that that, um, thank you for sharing that, Ken, because uh, that's what, that's, that's, all that I can think of now that every time I hear the motto, I just think, yo, we have such a great impact with the community voice. Yeah, that, that if not me, then who really resonated? I think a lot of times we, we are afraid that, you know, we, we not, we, 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 not, we may not be as whole as some, some other folks around us, but I think, you know, I, I was reading a quote by, Elaine Walter Othwin, she says, you know, when you exist in spaces that weren't built for you, sometimes just being you is the revolution. And I think mm -hmm. by, you know, us continuing, especially you, Ozo, to be that light and to shine it and say, this is who I am and this is what I'm bringing. I think you empower those who may not have a voice to do that, who may not feel comfortable to do that. And even that in itself is making a, a small spark of change, right? The more that we continue to help help people feel safe, help people have the courage to, to speak up and do the things to advance, you know, what we're trying to do, I think it, it just becomes that more powerful. And then people think it has to be these 
grand gestures, but no, it's, it's you showing up and, 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 just, and not even showing up perfectly, but just showing up and, and, and kind of making those strides and continuing to commit to that, I think is, is, is ultimately going to be the, the catalyst for a lot of change. Thank you so much. Dr. Morris, what about you? I, um, I, I, well, I, yes, I, and I would say, you know, my struggles are obviously my struggles, you know, they are different. Um, being white, I did not have to deal, you know, with the racial injustice and the, the bias, but I also entered the workforce at a time where there were no women partners in our office. There was one female manager um, and, you know, she had no children. And you know, basically when I talked to her, she said she wasn't sure that, you know, she would ever be able to, because at that time, you know, there were not the flexible work arrangements and the different things that, um, the firms, you know, offer now because they realized, you know, what diversity of talent they were losing because of it. But, you know, I have had my head patted a number of times um, and, you know, basically told to be a good little girl and, you know, go sit down and uh, let the big boys talk. You know, those are the things that I have dealt with. And I just, basically refused to allow myself to be defined by what others thought I was capable of and pushed through and continued to just push. And I uh, loved the meme that came out after uh, Kamala you know, won the vice presidency, uh, you know, that basically said, you know, you better put your shoes on because there's going to be a lot of glass on the floor. You know? And those types of, you know, encouragements um, that women gave each other. So uh, I think, you know, just, you know, hold on to your, as Ken, you know, called it early on, hold on to your authentic self, uh, believe in yourself, and you know, just refuse to let others define who you are and what you're capable of. Wow. I think that one, that, that was the last question that I had. And I think that that was a great way to like wrap up is that I, I honestly think, um, one, just thank you so, so much. Like each of you bring so much light and value to this world, uh, to my life. I've like, I literally told Ken, I'd only met, I think I've only had two real conversations, three now. Uh, and like, hands down, I just like, I'm so appreciative of each of you, for each of you, um, and the work that you do and how you continue to impact the lives of us in society as a whole. So thank you so much. Thank you. This is, this is tremendous. Awesome. So thank oh, I wanted to shout out the grandkids because <laughs> The grandchildren are so adorable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> so, so one of my favorite quotes, and it's actually by Muhammad Ali, and it says, a person who views the world the way at 50 years old, that they viewed the world when they were 20, has wasted 30 years of their life. 
maybe I said that incorrectly, but, but so that, that quote, right? So if you view the world at 50 years old the way you did when you were 20, you've wasted 30 years of your life. And I think the question on the table for all of us, when we look 30 years ahead, if we're around then, how will we change? And what are we gonna do to affect change? But that's what I would ask.